Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me as always is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's a, again, it's a football-heavy uh, edition this week. It's that time of year. Got a couple other little things we'll throw in, but uh, boy, it's a great time of year, and it's finally feeling a little bit more like football weather. <laughs> Man, I, it was uh, 87, a kickoff for the Beeler soccer game tonight, So, uh, or for the JV game anyway, so it still felt pretty warm. We were over in the shade on the visitor's side for a while, but yeah, it's a, it's starting to cool off a little bit, at least in the evenings, but the daytime's still feeling pretty warm. Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's jump into the high school ranks as we do often and add Astra, again, eight games this week, starting with... 94.7-4-0 Ellsworth at 0-4 Lions. It'll be district game number two for Ellsworth. First district game for Lions. Ellsworth shut out Hillsborough last week, 28-0. Lions a 50-6 loss at Haven. This uh, really young and uh, no depth. I know that the numbers are down again a little bit for Lions this year, uh, taking on a really good Ellsworth team. I think this is a this is a high quality Ellsworth team. It's hard, hard to see why Lions has a real fighting chance in this one. Off, uh, they've given they're off to a four and zero start, like you said. They've given up six points so far this year, and that came in the opening fourteen to six win over Beloit. So that really tells you, first of all, that they're beating a team like Beloit. Mm-hmm. That kind of tells you how good this uh, Ellsworth team is, and the fact that they haven't given up a point since then. Uh, you know, Lions has put up a couple of touchdowns each of the last couple of weeks. I think that would be a pretty good barometer for them if they can just find a way to get into the end zone this week. I think that would be a win for them. Yeah, it, it absolutely will. It's a, Again, the CKL is tough, and, and Lions' district is tough. They still have Southeast of Saline coming up, so uh, tough schedule coming up for the Lions. Lions, 95.9. This is hard to say, Brad. 1-3 Bueller at 0-4. Mulvane, two teams in the last several years that have been really good and factors in the playoffs are off to slow starts. Bueller got their first win defensive battle, 10-0 over Winfield. Mulvane lost 20-6 at home versus Rose Hill. It's, I think on the road for Bueller, you, you'll get into this. Mulvane's played a tough schedule. This could be one of those pick em. This could be another one of those uh, 17-14 type games tonight between these two. You know, Scott, we're four games into the season. I, I still don't have a good read on Beeler, do you? I don't. Uh, I I know that their depth is hurting this year. They started with a couple of defensive starters um, out of the lineup. I don't know if that has gotten – if that has improved, if they're still. I just think that for the first time in a long time, Beeler just doesn't have that second wave of players they can bring in to give their, their first – time or first liners a little bit of a rest and i think we're seeing that um really affect them in second halves this year well the good news for beeler is that win over uh winfield moved them all the way up to ninth in the 4a <laughs> west standing so uh independence is actually also one in three and if the season ended today beeler would be at independence and the difference in points right now is just two between those two and that's just the kind of thing when you get um in, in west in the western half of the state you get a lot of schools that don't really play each other very much. So you could have the tendency to have something like this happen or the opposite where, you know, three and one wouldn't even be in the top eight right now. So I think Bueller's got to recognize that, yes, it hasn't been the start that they had hoped for, but there's a lot to play for still. You know, you get a win against Mulvane, you get Augusta, you get Rose Hill. These next three games 
are all winnable for them before they go into the finale with McPherson and Scott form four might very well be good enough to get him a first round home game and maybe even a decent seed, you know, maybe a six or a seven or something like that. So a lot to play here for a lot to play for here for uh, uh, Bueller, who after getting up with at least 31 points in each of the first three games, pitched a shutout with a Winfield. So maybe they figured some things out defensively. Well, it certainly looks like it's going to be the wild, wild west in 4A. As you mentioned, a 1-3 and three record right now, good enough for the 9 seed. 96.7, home of the Smoky Valley Vikings. They're 2-2, two and 0-1 two, oh after, well, a lot of teams say this, a rough trip to Andale, 57 <laughs> loss. And it doesn't get any easier this week as they host 3-1 and 1-0 and one and oh in the district, Cheney. And the Cardinals beat a good Pratt team handily, 43-21. to 21. So, Smoky Valley, uh, tough schedule continues. You give them a shot in this one. Well, I think Cheney has actually been kind of a team that no one has really been discussing for some reason, including myself, man. Uh, their only loss is 28-14 to 14 to Kingman. Or, yeah, to Kingman. So, uh, they, they beat Garden Plain 33-7, Douglas 55-7. Then they just smoked Pratt last week. So, I'm not sure why we haven't been giving Cheney more credit this year. That seems like it would be a very, very good team. And uh, they win this game, and they're going to be 5-1 and one going into that Andale game. And that should be a lot of fun, I think. They, they lost some high-profile seniors, but I think it just goes to show how deep Cheney is. Some of those younger kids that hadn't been getting their chance are stepping up. And, again, they're they're very good. And, yeah, that Cheney-Andale game, that uh, – be interesting a little bit later in the year. Collegian Andale always on the schedule. Um, so some interesting games coming up uh, for Andale. That being said, I, I still think Andale's 8-0 when the play- playoffs start. It's been a long time since they've lost in the regular season. Uh, 98-9, home of the Mac Bullpups. They're 3-1. and They're at 0-4 Winfield. We mentioned the Winfield lost 10 to nothing at Bueller. Mac, uh, Circle, still not quite ready to take that big next step. Circle couldn't hang with Mac. They lost 35-15. to 15. Uh, it, it, It's the typical trap game here for Mac going to 0-4 Winfield. We've seen Mac in these games over the years um, that maybe the outcome, the, the margin of victory isn't as much as we think, but they still always find ways that they win these games comfortably. Yeah, I think that they kind of welcome the circle to the world of, uh, you know, high-profile football, just like Bueller kind of did last year. Uh, the schedule kind of really softens up. It's been a pretty uh, rugged last couple of weeks with circle and before that 6A power Junction City. So I think McPherson's ready to settle into a nice winning streak coming up. Uh, you know, it, it'll be up to two this week after they take care of Winfield. Yeah, I definitely agree. A uh, couple of the next matchups, high marquee games in the state. 100.3 has a pair of 4-0 teams, both 1-0 in the district. The Inman Teutons hosting the Trinity Celtics. Trinity, a 24-0 home victory over Ellenwood. Inman went on the road and shut out Sterling, 40 to nothing. Uh, boy, I didn't get much better in the middle season than this one. Um, if Inman is 100% healthy, I know Tanner Heckle hurt earlier in the year. If he's healthy, I like Inman in this game. If he is out, boy, I think this could be this could be a tight one. I'm I'm very curious to see what the Trinity defense can do against that high-powered Inman offense. You know, Scott, I'm not sure these aren't the two best teams right now on the ha- on the western half of Class One A. Uh, they're the only undefeated teams. There are some good teams, obviously. Uh, Smith Center, you can never count out Smith Center at two and two. 
Uh, Oakley is another one of those teams that never seems to have a glamorous record, but always seems to be playing late into November. And then you got Wabansi, who's uh, three and one right now. So, but boy, uh, Trinity and Inman just cruising right along. The good thing is, is that if uh, if they both finish in this district, they will be on opposite sides of the of the bracket. So, uh, by that Trinity defense, uh, they haven't given up more than eighteen points. As a matter of fact, Scott, uh, here's how they're. Uh, the points a lot have gone this year. If they improve uh, this week, it'll be a miracle because they've given up 18, 16, 8 and uh, so far <laughs> this season. So not possible to get better than that. And frankly, if they shout out Inman, it'd be probably the greatest performance in history of high school football defensively. So, but you know, I, I, I do give Trinity a chance in this one. Uh, probably one of the most improved teams in the state uh, off to a four and start and a great defense and a, a, an offense. I still think is trying to get, get a feel for what they are. But, uh, you know, Inman's uh, depth and their firepower is so hard to match at this level. I kind of feel like that this game for Trinity to win has to be uh, in the low 20s as far as the score. Each team maybe, you know, 24, 21, 21 type 17. If this one gets uh, above 30, you know Inman's putting the points on the board. I just don't know that Trinity could score at that pace. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Scott, uh, that Trinity definitely – uh, you know, the three of their four wins, they've scored 24 points or less. So they're not, they're, they're more built for the slugfest. They're the, the lower scoring game in Inman. I think Inman's fine playing any style, but you're right. If, if, if Inman gets this game into the 35s, uh, 42, 45, I think it's gonna be hard for Trinity to keep up. Yeah, that's going to be a, it's going to be a fun game to watch and see what the outcome is on Friday night. Uh, another marquee matchup on 106.1 kicks country, uh, 2A Kingman, they're 4-0, 1-0 in their district after Shellac and Douglas on the road, 63-7. They're at uh, 3A Heston, who's 3-1. They're 1-0. Heston, a shootout victory at Trinity Academy. There were 97 points in this game as it was a 56-41 victory for Heston. Uh, Boy, certainly I do not foresee a shootout in this game. We know Kingman's got a really good defense. Um, Heston looks like they're on the way back up, although they have a really tough district, as it seems like they always do. Uh, Very interesting matchup. For some reason, I I like Kingman and their defense on the road this week. Well, first of all, I applaud these uh, teams for getting together and playing this game in the middle of district play. You know, everyone in a five-team district has got to have a week off, right? So, you know, for Heston to and Kingman to get together and say, hey, we, we're, we're both going to be good next year. Let's play each other instead of, you know, playing someone that you're going to beat by 60. You know, I, I respect that. I, I really do to, for these teams to get together and provide us with a uh, high-profile non-district game in the middle of district play. I think uh, Kingman's defense is, uh, like you said, it, it's marquee. They only allowed 14 to Cheney. They shut out Conway Springs. I mean, Utah Trinity has even put up some points this year, and uh, Kingman only allowed six to them. So th- this th- this could be th- this could be a pretty good matchup. I do for I, I do I would lean toward Kingman here. But, uh, you know, Heston's uh, obviously much improved against a pretty tough schedule. But uh, I, I would still give the slight edge, I think, to this one to Kingman. Yeah, it's not going to shock me if Heston wins, but I, too, kind of give the slight nod to Kingman. Them scheduling each other is kind of like Derby and Carroll continuing. Uh, they played seven years straight now. Uh, and they're Derby 6A, Carroll's 5A, and they're not in the same league, but yet 
they continue to schedule one another and they they're giving the fans i think what what we all desire is these high profile matchups as kingman at heston will be this week on 106.1 couple of stream games your game on stream number one four and oh stafford they're one and oh in the district after uh, pound in south central 48 to nothing they're at st john who's one and three this will be st john's First district game, they were shut out at Wichita County last week, 57 to nothing. Stafford, I think, surprising some people. That looks like this Stafford team is really good. St. John's still, um, boy, it seems like they've just been rebuilding for the last several years, just trying to get their numbers up and kids interested and rebuild a once really good program. You give St. John any shot in this one? Well, I, I do – I I do think that Stafford wins this one, but I think that St. John doesn't appear to be much improved. You know, they're one and three so far. They beat Otis Bison 28 to six, and they lost to Ness City just 12 to eight. And their other two losses have been by Mercy Rule to good teams like Maxville and uh, Wichita County. So, you know, I, I do think that St. John is probably one of the more improved teams around there. It's uh, just tough to kind of get the, kind of improve on that when you're playing the likes of Maxville, Wichita County. South Barber's still coming up for St. John. And uh, Stafford's off to, a, you know, obviously a very good start. Uh, a couple of mercy rule wins in there. Uh, but I'm going to go, on a, on a, uh, I'm gonna go on a, out on a limb and say that this will not be a mercy rule. I think Stafford wins, but I want to say it won't be a mercy rule. I think you pointed it out very well there, those close losses and then in their one win. Um, in past years, um, just about every week was a mercy rule for them. Uh, so I think that they're, I think they're finally getting their footing and getting the kids interested in game again. And I, I can remember back when uh, they were still 11 man in, in, in class 2A and, and really good. So um, hopefully the Tigers uh, can get that program back to where it once was. And Stafford, great start. I, I think we do both like Stafford on Friday night to stay undefeated. On sports number two, the two and two Sterling Black Bears are zero and one in district play after losing forty to nothing at home against Inman. They're at Medicine Lodge, who's one and three, zero and one in the district after a forty three thirteen loss to Conway Springs. We've talked a lot about Sterling being um, very much improved. We we love them taking um, Riffle out of the backfield and putting him on the line they're going with the the farney boy a freshman at quarterback um and he's shown some great promise i think he's going to be a really good player for them and i i it's always tough to go on a long road trip like that but for some i, I kind of like sterling in this they pick up their third win and even out their district record at one and one well with teams like trinity inman and conway springs in this district scott uh the last the, the fourth playoff spot is going to be a battle. And if Sterling wants to have the opportunity to nab a playoff spot, they can't afford to lose this one. And frankly, neither can Medicine Lodge. So this this is, for all intents and purposes, probably an, an elimination game. Not, not not from the season, obviously. But uh, if Sterling can win this one, then they go into what could be essentially another elimination game with Conway Springs the following week. Conway Springs beat Medicine Lodge already 43-13. to So they've already kind of got that feather in their hat. So – uh, it, it's a big game uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, this th- th- this is a must win for both teams, and I do like Sterling to go on to go on the road, take the long road trip down to Medicine Lodge, and get a win. 
we could tab it as a playoff elimination game in week five. How about that? That, that yeah. kind of spices that up a little bit, doesn't it? But in, in reality, you're right. I mean, with those the teams you mentioned, so good coming up on Sterling's schedule that this is, a, for playoff intents and purposes, a must win, I think, for the Black Bears. A couple other games in the area, very interested. Hutch at Salina South. Hutch had the ball late against Derby. Couldn't quite pull out a victory against the maybe the best team in 6A. Do you look for them to bounce back, or is this one of those letdown weeks um, at a Salina South team that's really struggling? Well, I, I do think Hutch is good. I think they're really good. I mean, they're seven yards away from uh, potentially tying or maybe going for two and trying to win the game at Derby. So you go to Derby and, and, and you get, you're that close to victory. Uh, you, you've got something. Uh, but having said that, I'm not sure Hutch is the kind of team that can really afford to, to take anybody lightly. Uh, you know, they beat Eisenhower by seven, Newton by five, and then they had a good win against May South by 20, uh, a 14-point win. So I would not recommend them have, trying to have a, a letdown this week. Now, Salina South is not very good. They're 0-4, and Scott, they've given up at least, at least 52 points per game. Oh, Yeah, so this is – I do like the Salt Hawks to win this one, and I like them to go out and, and have a field day. But I, while I think that they're very good and could make a deep postseason run, I, I'm not sure they're quite at the level where they can afford to have a letdown after such a, a, a tough loss last week. Yeah, they, they, they certainly need to win this game to keep uh, right towards the top of 6A. So um, I think they'll bounce back. It's just it's it's tough after such an emotional loss, but I, I do think they, they go and get take care of business at Salina South. Another area game that's a little bit intriguing, 2-2 two and two Garden Plain. They're going to go play 3-1 and one Haven. Haven's a team, Brett, I think they're pretty good. Um they have wins over, you know, Nickerson and Lions, uh, who Nickerson's only win is against Lions. Lions is winless. I'm trying to get a feel for for really how good Haven is. Garden Plain, you know, Reed Adelhart no longer there due to graduation. Um, this is a this is an interesting game. I'm very curious. It's kind of a pick 'em game for me Friday night at Haven. Well, Haven will be hungry because uh, Garden Plain went in there in the first round of the playoffs and just put a beat down on them. So, you know, Haven's going to be looking forward to a rematch here. But Garden Plain's had a pretty uh, good couple weeks here after a 42 nothing win over Medicine Lodge. They only lost 10-7 to to undefeated Chaparral. So this is a pretty good uh, pretty good game for both teams. And frankly, with uh, Kingman and Chaparral both being undefeated, uh, once again, this isn't necessarily an elimination game, but the, the loser of this game is on alert. Because they still have Douglas, and Douglas is two and two. So while Douglas, I think, might be probably the bottom team in this district, um, you know, the loser of this game is going to have an all to play for game eventually against Douglas. So I think the winner of this game is going to be, you know, sitting pretty well to at least make the playoffs. Uh, but boy, I tell you, whoever loses this game is on alert. Yeah, loser is going to have a lot of work to do to try to finagle their way back into a playoff spot. So Garden Plain at Haven, another very interesting game in the area. Uh, my game this week, Brad, the game time game of the week on your view, Cox Channel 22 finds the Topeka High Trojans at one and three, uh, traveling to the Northwest Grizzlies, who are three and one. Topeka did pick up their first win of the season this last week, 34 to 21 against a depleted Emporia team. 
and Northwest just continue to roll, uh, beat a pretty decent East team, 52 to 14 on the road. Um, been, I've talked to the coaches already this week and I've looked through the stats and I'm, I'm trying to convince myself, Brad, help me convince myself that this is going to be a close game in the second half. Cause I, I just haven't come up with a way yet to really convince myself. Well, keep thinking, Scott, because it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know Wichita Northwest after that loss to Carroll to start the season. The game, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Northwest had a big lead in that game and let it get away from them. And since then, they've you know you look at the teams that they played: Heights, Capen, and East. I mean, these are not the bottom feeders in the city league that they've beaten the last three weeks and have crushed each of the, each of the three last three weeks. So Northwest is on a roll right now, and if they get by this one. You know, then they get a couple layups with uh, South and West. And, I, and look, I think Topeka is going to be a, pretty much a layup, too. That will set up an enticing Week 8 matchup with Manhattan up in Manhattan. So uh, Northwest uh, definitely uh, on a roll. They've kind of navigated the tougher half of their schedule, 3-1. and one. And, um, no, I, I, I don't see Topeka hanging in there. Northwest, LJ Phillips and Sear Thompson in the backfield, both averaging over 100 yards a game. Uh, Phillips getting some D1 interest coming back from a knee injury they've got a kid a little speedster out at the wideouts averaging over 100 yards receiving by the name of michael lopez and we had the carroll northwest game uh, northwest led that game 30 uh let me get the score right i believe it was 31 to 7 and ended up losing that 53 to 41 when carroll put in their second quarterback that ran the rpo and the, the northwest coach said you know we were we put in a new defense and we didn't know much or anything about this kid. He said, we just didn't, we just didn't adjust. And they lost their quarterback, got hurt early fourth quarter, did, couldn't play the rest of the game. And he said, since then, they've simplified things. They're back to the three, four. And, and you mentioned it. Um, they beat a good Capen team, 41 to 14, 52 to six over Heights, 52, 14 over East. Um, this is a team that has a good defense. They got really good players on that side of the ball. Defense and a running game, you know, when the weather gets cold, uh, that travels. And I think Northwest is – I think they're going to be a serious threat in 6A um, in November. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, Scott. I mean, I'm already looking at the standings here. Northwest currently sits fourth uh, in, in just a log jam of teams that are 3-1. and one. I mean, that's what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams at 3-1. and one. And just to tell you how good 6A West is, the team that's in eight, uh, eighth right now is Junction City, a very good Junction City team at three and one is currently sitting eighth. So no room for them to really slip up for Northwest. I, and I, I don't anticipate that happening. As a matter of fact, um, I'm going to go on uh, as far as saying that they will finish the regular season seven to one. They will beat Manhattan to finish out the regular season. So I think that this Northwest team uh, definitely one of the threats to make it to the championship game. I think so as well. Again, if you're, Interested in that one, it'll be on Your View Cox Channel 22 on Friday night. Well, uh, trying to decide where I want to venture into the uh, the good, the better, or the ugly from the weekend of football, Brad. What, what, what do you want to do, rip the Band-Aid off first? Uh, yeah, might as well. All right, so that means we move from Saturday's action. We'll skip, come back to that to last Sunday's action where the trap game, the Chiefs fell into it hook, line, and sinker as they lay an egg at Indianapolis 
and suffer their first loss 20 to 17 um, to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, boy, I'm not even sure where to start with this one, Brad. I saw um, somebody post something on Facebook, I believe, talking about uh, the, um, that just convinced them that Steve Spagnola needs, you know, needs to be fired. They need a new defensive coordinator and everything. But, you know, one of my first thoughts of that is, you know what? 17 points and three points total in the second half ain't going to win you many games anywhere on the road in the NFL. Well, no, Scott. I mean, Indianapolis had 259 yards of offense. If you told me that the Colts were going to have 259 yards of offense and 20 points, I'd say the Chiefs win that game by, by you know, two touchdowns at least. And frankly, let's not forget, what. let's look at their two touchdowns, Scott. One came after a drop punt, and the other came after a quarterback sack, which should have led to a punt uh, for the Colts because it would have been fourth and long. And so, no, the, the defense was at least the problems uh, in this game. As a matter of fact, the defense – uh, one you could say won the Chargers game as well in that game uh, against a good uh, Justin Herbert led uh, Chargers team. So now the defense is not the problem right now, Scott. Uh, not by any stretch. Well, and as you mentioned, you know I, they were putting a lot of blame on the defense for allowing that long drive. Well, two things about that, Brad. Obviously, the Chiefs had the ball before that and did nothing with it, where they could have gone down, got a score, and ended the thing which they were unable to do. And as you mentioned, they had them stopped. They had them in fourth and long, but after the third down play, for reasons only known to him, Chris Jones has to use abusive language right in front of an official to draw a 15-yard penalty and extend that into what became, I was I think it was a 16-play drive for the Colts. Um, I've always told my wife, I said, I'd be the most unpopular uh, general manager in the NFL because I'd levy a pretty heavy fine for that stupidity. Well, here's what you do, uh, and, and look, we, we don't know what was said, and, and frankly, to me, it's almost irrelevant because, <laughs> yeah, w- when you start flapping your gums like that in front of an, of an in front of an official, Scott, you're leaving it up to the official to decide if it's a penalty or not. I mean, this is not something that's arbitrary, like a false start or a pass interference. You know, something that's usually pretty black and white. Uh, if you, you know, flapping your mouth like that. With the official standing there, you're now turning the game over into the hands of the official. And everything you just did there uh, may not matter, and it didn't. So, you know, again, you you can say, oh, that's a soft penalty. Well, you know what? you got to be smarter and not try to turn the game over to the officials like that. You don't want the officials to try to decide the game. And here's how you do that. You just shut up and go to the sideline. Yeah. I don't really care if anything was said to him. I I just – I don't. You cannot – do that in earshot of an official and you know officials have post game i don't know if you want to call it a post game press conference but they uh they review and they're asked questions about things during the game and the official that threw that flag said it was extremely um foul and abusive language that was being used by chris jones directed towards matt ryan the quarterback for the colts so that's why he threw the flag so i think that's a perfect explanation from the official and i throw the flag too if that's what was going on (laughs) yeah and you know it's it's really unfortunate it comes from one of your defensive leaders who frankly has had a very good season so far so i you know but you said you said something earlier about you know a trap game with the colts and for whatever reason it's just a place the chiefs have never played well at and 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 let's not put too much into it, Scott. Because uh, what were the Chiefs were like three and four at one point last year, and it still worked out pretty well for them. 
uh, I still, but you know, I also want to briefly mention something, Scott. There's the uh, end of the first half, little uh, dust up with Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, and Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was rumors of of a of a blow up between the two at halftime of the AFC Championship game last year, and then of course the Chiefs completely fell apart in the second half. Um, I have seen some former players come to Bieniemy's defense. But at the same time, the reason he hasn't been hired as a head coach yet, I, I, and, and look, I think Eric is obviously a good offensive mind. But when it comes to shove, Eric, it's not you that's going to, it's not Patrick Mahomes that's going to lose his job if it comes between you and him. You can go get another offensive coordinator. You can't find another Hall of Fame quarterback instantaneously. I'm sorry. So, Whatever happened, I, I you know, I, I don't know, but, you know, I, I, I don't like this. I, I don't like this at all because, like I said, this is, what, the second time in four games that Biennemi and Mahomes have had words exchanged. That's not going to – it's not going to cut. And, frankly, you know, Andy Reid, Clark Hunt, someone's got to figure this out now. I, I agree. I, I, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, the old simple saying, but I, I, there's something definitely fractured in that relationship. And yeah, they need to get it figured out now. So that doesn't happen again. Um, Mahomes 20 of 35, 262 a touchdown. And then the interception on the final drive on uh, deflected pass or whatever it turned out to be. Uh, I think the most, puzzling thing to me brad and it also goes towards the inability to finish a game offensively for the chiefs when patrick mahomes is your leading rusher with four carries for 26 yards you got problems when you rush for a total of 58 yards in a game they just they still have the inability in a lot of key times to run the football and that that that's discouraging right now because it looks like They've got a couple, three good backs, but somehow they just don't get the production they need. I've seen some video from journalists who try to break things down, and the problem is is that these running backs are not going where they're supposed to be going. They're not going through the holes or to the the openings that the offensive line have created. They're kind of trying to, you know, I, I don't know if they just don't see it, they don't read it, or what the problem is. But, yeah, I mean, it's not like the Chiefs were behind by double digits and had to start throwing the ball a ton. I mean, they led at halftime. They led at the end of three quarters. They were in prime position to try to run the ball. They just couldn't do it. And, you know, the Colts – hey, we, we do have to say the Colts have a good defense. That, that, that is a, that, that's a top ten defense that the Colts have. So and, – and, of course, playing at home and, and all that and just, a, you know, is – uh, you know, the Chiefs have got to figure that out. Uh, you know, they go to Tampa this weekend or maybe be, may, might be going to Tampa this weekend. So uh, it, it was a disappointing performance because that wasn't a game that the Colts won. That was a game the Chiefs lost. Yeah, uh, they go – well, they play Tampa Bay this weekend too. I watched that um, Green Bay game that Green Bay won 14-12. to 12 and Tampa's got problems. And I'll, I'll get back to that a little bit later in uh, – my closing thoughts tonight, but um, the last I saw, you know, Buccaneers are using uh, Miami's practice facility, one of their practice facilities this week to prepare for the game. Um, They have said the game, even though the Dolphins are not home this weekend, the game will not be played, most likely not played in Miami. The most 
likely place. I just don't see the way this hurricane is looking. It's it's getting stronger and still going right at Tampa that it's played in Tampa. Uh, I've heard it could it would probably be played in Minneapolis uh, between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. I like that to get the Bucks off their home field. And yeah, you're right. They looked terrible offensively against Green Bay. Green Bay just shut them down all day. Uh, Bucks still have a good defense, um, but yeah, they are not looking well right now. So that means they're going to put up 40 this weekend, right? Well, nobody rebounds better from a humiliating loss in his career than Tom Brady. I don't think he's – he's not the Tom Brady of old for sure. Um, he's looking, to me, slower, um, missing guys that are open. Um, but he does rebound well after a loss, but I'd love to see them have to, to, to make a road trip uh, up to Minneapolis to play the Chiefs this week. Yeah, I think that would uh... – any kind of neutral side game for if for no other reason not only the neutral side but i'll take my chances with a better chiefs crowd at pretty much any neutral side yeah so we'll we'll everybody like everybody else will have to kind of keep tabs as to where that game is scheduled for the sunday night game which i think they're going to keep that slot um, for that game and we'll just see where it happens so the chiefs at two and one tied with denver of all things in the division well, that was the bad in college football, Brad. Let's go to the the better. And the Sterling Warriors on this past Saturday gave us a, a fun game to watch there at Smyzer Stadium, and it was an excruciating loss in the end, 21-20 to to Tabor. Brad, the, the Warriors ended up scoring with about, oh, I think there was somewhere, it was outside of two minutes yet uh, to take the lead. At that time, uh, 19 to 14 after a, a long touchdown pass from uh, Daniel Jackson to Myreet Goodwin Legree. And at that time, I was calling for the two point conversion to try to go up by seven. Sterling chose to go ahead and kick the extra point, um, which made it a 20 to 14 game. Tabor was able to move, maneuver down the field, there was a juggling one handed catch. Um, to keep a drive alive, they got it down to the two-yard line with three seconds left. Both or, uh, Tabor was out of timeouts. They run a stack eye to the fullback. There's a massive pile of humanity at the goal line, and after a long wait with zeros on the clock, the official signal touchdown. Tabor, they come on, they boot the extra point through with no time, and the Warriors end up. Fallen to zero and three, and it was it was a game where you saw some improvement. Brad, the defense played well. They had a couple of fourth down stops. Daniel Jackson, the starting quarterback, they kind of rotated series with him and Baptista until later in the game. Ten of twenty one for one forty eight, but he didn't turn it over. He got two long touchdown passes in the game. It was kind of a weird game for him. He made these two great out-of-the-pocket throws over top the defense for touchdown, but he missed several easy throws, open receivers. Um, he was sacked seven times, so he was under a lot of pressure. But I, I think you finally saw some improvement against a Tabor team that's now 4-1. and one. Um, That's the good news. The bad news is they go to 3-1 and one Avila this week in Kansas City, who themselves had an excruciating loss to, at number 6 Southwestern. They led the game by 
10 points, 21 to 10 with seven minutes left. Southwestern got two late touchdowns to win 24-21, but it was it was a fun game, and I think we, we saw what we wanted to see after a bye week. We saw the Warriors improve. Yeah, that's always encouraging that they, you know, gave themselves a chance to win and probably even maybe even should have won. Uh, but one thing that really stands out to me about this, uh, look at the box score, Scott, is a third and fourth down efficiency. Tabor collectively was 12 of 22, which is over 50%. Yeah. Sterling was five out of 17 collectively on third and fourth down, just two out of 12 on third down. So they were much better on fourth down, three of five. But, uh, you know, those are things that can obviously kill drives and forces you to punt. But, you know, like you said, they, they took care of the ball. Definitely encouraging. Uh, just six penalties for 54 yards. So they, you know, they, they if not, nothing else, they should learn. Okay, we do some of those, the little things, you know, penalties. We hold on to the ball. We're going to be in these games, especially against good teams. They just proved that. Yeah, the the sacks were discouraging. I mean, the, the quarterbacks were getting harassed all night long. And, it, and a lot of it was against just a four-man rush. And Avila's always good up front both sides of the ball so that that's got to be addressed this week and, and find a way to sustain these drives um, to get a better running game going. They did get a couple of three better run plays to, to extend drives in the second half of the game. So I just hope it's something they can build on. They play a really good Avila team um, this week. It's a 1230 pregame and one o'clock kick on 95, nine, and the Sterling College Sports Network, and we'll see if the Warriors can continue to build um, on a good performance against uh, the Tabor Blue Jays. Uh, speaking of good performances, Brad, a sold-out, and when's the last time we said this, Memorial Stadium in Lawrence this past Saturday. It was an early start on Fox Sports 1 as the Jayhawks improved to 4-0, and defeating a pretty darn good previously undefeated Duke team, uh, 35 to 27 setting up a big matchup against a good Iowa State team that's three and one this week uh, in Lawrence Iowa State gave number 16 Baylor all they wanted 31 24 just your first thoughts on that Jayhawk victory to go to four and0 well got a little nerve-wracking there at the end didn't it but uh you know Scott this team hasn't really won anything in over a decade. And when a program, and, and I know that a lot of these guys had nothing to do with the previous uh, teams, but they I did, but a lot of them did have to, a lot to do with the, the last couple. So they are a lot of these guys are part of what what, what happened uh, during, during this last decade when KU was essentially the worst, had one of the worst stretches, if not the worst stretch ever for a Power Five team. And the point I'm trying to say is they got to learn how to win, and they're doing that. They've learned how to win some close games. You know, they beat Duke. In a close game, they held on at the end. They beat West Virginia, despite maybe not having to go to overtime and make it quite that exciting. But they're learning how to win right now, Scott. And you know, Jalen Daniels, frankly, right now, uh, he, he he's a Heisman candidate. There's no other way to say it. You know, Jalen Daniels for the Kansas Jayhawks is a Heisman Trophy candidate right now, and he is just simply remarkable, Scott. I mean, he. He, he's a touchdown machine. You know, he was he gained 80, uh, 83 yards and, and a touchdown rushing the ball. You know, throwing the ball, he was uh, – where's his passing stats? There they are, 19 out, of tw- 19 out of 23. He had as many touchdown passes as he had incompletions for 324 yards. And, of course, he had the 73-yard touchdown pass to uh, da- Daniel Hyshaw that was one of the highlights of the year in college – or will, will be one of the highlights of the year in college football. 
And th- this team right now is they're they're legitimately fun to watch, especially offensively. And Highshaw ten carries, sixty one yards. Devin Neal nine carries, fifty four yards. Eight different receivers catch passes. You know there was the amazing eleven different receivers last week. So te- teams don't know besides Daniels who to focus on. And Daniels is spreading the ball around. He's making good reads. And he's just, and he's not turning the ball over. Um, yeah, he 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 deserves to be mentioned amongst the certainly the best quarterbacks in the Big Twelve and maybe in the nation. The way he's playing right now, uh, the one thing that was uh, again, and I'll get to this in my final thoughts again. Uh, when they had the ball after the onside kick recovery, up eight, and Duke had their three timeouts left. Um, let me form this in a, uh, a question, Brad. What did you think of the play calling on those three plays? Well, the only thing – look, I know you have to try to get them to burn some timeouts. I get that. On third down, though, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about Russell Wilson a couple of weeks ago. You got a guy, Jalen Daniels, who right now is playing at, the high, at a high level, so high that he's considered a, a candidate for the Heisman Trophy. I think you got to trust him to make a play there. I'm the same way. I mean, uh, he, they did run a kind of a design, a little bit of an RPO for him on second down, but the other downs, it just, it just handed it off. Now, of course, maybe you break one, but so often the, the defense knows what you're going to do. Why not end the game there instead of even giving the ball ever back to Duke? I mean, the, the, the next exposed step on the jugular in the ball game, put the ball in the the best player on the field's hands and Jalen Daniels, he'd only misfired on four passes all day. I think he complete one for 10 yards and in that game. I, that, that was the one, the one thing that kind of stuck out to me is, was that I thought it was overly conservative play calling um, on that last series. Which really is not what this Kansas offense is all about, but you know what? It also goes back to what I was just saying about how learning how to win. And that's not just, that's not just the players. The coaching staff as well, you know, trying to instill belief in the players and belief in each other. And uh, bottom line is, these are problems that Kansas fans have never had to deal with since Todd Reesing and Mark Mangino, and it's a great problem to have. So the Jayhawks and Iowa State, Iowa State playing really well. What do you, what do you think of that matchup in Lawrence? It's the the second of three straight home games, a really critical stretch for bowl hopes for the Jayhawks. Well, they're, they are a slight underdog. I, last I saw was three and a half points, but I did see uh, an Iowa, a prominent Iowa State blogger who is all doom and gloom about this matchup. He said that the, the kind of quarterback that Iowa State has always struggled against, he said, especially in recent years, has been the legitimate dual threat quarterbacks. Like He said that Jalen Daniels is a spitting image of the kind of quarterback that they cannot stop and have not stopped in years. Uh, I, I saw him post something. I, I think he said that his early prediction was Kansas by 17. And he wasn't being sarcastic. He was like, you know, folks, th- this is the quarterback. And, and a lot of Iowa State fans were agreeing with him. They're like, yeah, the, 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 this is a nightmare matchup for us right now. Going to Lawrence, Forno, you know, Kansas probably a little bit upset that they're still not ranked. Uh, it is going to be a tough matchup. But I tell you what. The way the stars are kind of aligning for this Jayhawks team right now. I mean, ESPN had them projected to play in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama right now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, how about that? Uh, but uh, it's uh, 
I, 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 hey, if they lose, I'm just going to say that they're going to win. I like them. I like them in, in Lawrence this weekend. Uh, and I hope that Iowa State, the bloggers and all them, I hope they're right. I hope they really struggle with Jalen Daniels this weekend. How about KU nor K-State? Either ranked, depending on what poll. One poll, I think, uh, I don't know if there's the AP or the coaches, had K-State at 25. That was the AP. That's the AP. Okay. Um, but in the other polls, unranked um, after what you and I thought was a possibility, they go in and beat Oklahoma. So uh, uh, I think both Kansas teams, little chip on their shoulder now that, uh, hey, well, hey, just just keep betting against us and uh, don't, not ranking us. And I, I think I think KU and K-State right now, I think they're perfectly fine with that. Just just overlook us and see what happens. So uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about the KU Iowa State game, of course, um, in full next edition next week. Uh, also in the college football ranks, Brad, you you kind of pointed it out this one for the Hutch uh, Blue Dragons. It could have been a tough one at Coffeyville, and it was uh, of all things for Hutch a grinded out defensive victory over Coffeyville, fourteen to nine. What how did you how do you break it down this way? You go on the road. You know, a win's a win. Were you you have concerns after this win, or are you just glad they got the W? Well, I think the encouraging thing was that Coffeyville's offense did nothing. 221 yards, 14 first downs. Their only touchdown was a scoop and score. And, you know, time after time, the Blue Dragon defense just really came up big. Um, unfortunately, they did lose the turnover battle. Actually, no, there was a tie. It was 4-4, four to four, so kind of a sloppy game. I mean, Eight combined turnovers. Uh, the, the 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 penalty numbers were were you know nine for a hundred and one for Hutch, and that's very unHutch like. That's not like a, a Drew Dallas coach team right there to have that many penalties. The one thing that I was encouraged by they they one thing that they've been kind of struggling with is running or find, finding that that guy that that can run the ball. Uh, they ended up on that last board. Uh, in the last two minutes, they started feeding the ball to a kid named Dylan Kedzier, who's from Oklahoma. And he had a big block punt in the Region 6 or in the Jail Conference Championship game last year. It was kind of a role player on offense. Ended up with uh, – and he's been hurt for the first part of this year. 12 carries for 85 yards in that winning touchdown. He didn't have anything longer than 21 yards, but he averaged seven yards a carry. Mm. So he, he's, he was kind of a bulldozer out there and just definitely had a, a – maybe that's uh, – maybe he's the one that solves their, their, uh, their running game problems. So – uh, you know, they, they've got another tough one with Butler this week, but I guess the biggest concern for me in that game was they just played really sloppy, and you can get away with that maybe once, and Coffeyville's a good team. There's no doubt Coffeyville's a good team. If they do like, if they play that against Butler, uh, they're, no other way is this, they're not going to win. <laughs> and I, I, I think the coaching staff will get that cleaned up, and uh, is that game in, Hutch? Yes, it is. I think they'll get that cleaned up on their home field and and take care of Butler. But yeah, you mentioned it. If you, you, you can get away with that maybe once, but another two weeks in a row against good teams that could bite you. But Hutch stays on the winning track again this weekend at home against Butler. A couple other things I wrote down: interesting kind of storylines. Brad, they are doing away with. The Pro Bowl, I just saw this, I think, uh, earlier today or yesterday. 
Um, they're going to now have a skills competition over the weekend and then a flag football game to end the weekend. Um, isn't that kind of what they already do? <laughs> I, I kind of had an, an idea several years ago, or maybe they should have just like co-opt with uh, WWE and has kind of weird, you know, just some kind of uh, free-for-all, you know, kind of bring Ric Flair in to clothesline, you know, Patrick Mahomes or something like that. I mean, I don't know, there's all kinds of things they could have done. I don't know, man. The Pro Bowl hasn't been anything in a lot of years. I mean, really, if you're thinking about the – I mean, Major League Baseball's got maybe the only real all-star game left. I mean, maybe the NBA – they don't play defense, but at least they put on a show. I mean, the Pro Bowl is nothing. I mean, it's just I, – I, I don't even know at this point what the point of it was anymore. I, I'm 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 actually glad to hear this because it basically was a glorified flag football game. Anyhow, I understand the um, the complete aversion to to suffering any kind of injury in the game, which it didn't even make it football. So if you're not going to play football, then make it a flag football game. Maybe the fans will come out and enjoy it. And um, I, I I think it was time. It was I I never could I haven't watched it for years. It just it wasn't football, so uh, glad to see it for no no more Pro Bowl game um, at the end of the year. And the other very interesting one, uh, Brad, that I saw in the news this week is Dayton Moore steps down from his position with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, interesting. I don't know that this is unexpected. I guess what jumps into the back of my mind, Brad, is he doing this before the Royals acted and relieved him of his duties? It, it's inevitable. I mean, that, that that's most likely what happened. I mean, look, we're all going to forever be grateful for Dayton Moore in Kansas City. I mean, small market teams winning the World Series, it just doesn't happen anymore. And not only did he win a uh, World Series, he took the Royals back. You know, he built a team that w- went to back-to-back World Series. And... I'm forever appreciative of uh, appreciative of that. It, it was just time. It, it was just time to move on. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. You know, we're not saying that we hate Dayton more or anything like that. It, it was just time. It, it, it was just time to move on from him. You know, he did a lot of great things. Uh, he built. He broke. He built the champion one time. Uh, it wasn't going to happen again, though. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I believe it was time. There, you see that there's some some good young players on the team, but to, to convince yourself that this is a championship team in the next couple, three years, I think is, is very far fetched competitive. Yes. But, um, championship. No. And I just think, uh, yeah, I am. I'm extremely grateful. He did. He did something I didn't think was ever going to be done with the Royals again when he did it in, in, in nine years and, um, to get him to two world series and, and a championship. It was amazing what he did, and but I think it was time for a for a change. And hopefully, whoever they move into that position can take this young talent, build on it, build the minors back up, and uh, we can see the Royals once again. Because Brad, they're they're closing in, and I, I think they're going to get to a hundred losses. Yeah, and they've got some great talents on this team. I mean, you hate to waste a generational talent like Bobby Witt. I mean, we saw that they wasted Carlos Beltran and. I mean, gosh, if you go back to that early 2000s, 
outfield of Johnny Damon, Jermaine Dye, and Carlos Beltran. I mean, we're talking uh, about one of the great outfields in the American League if they'd be able to keep that together. And they, they just wasted it because they didn't have any pitching. I just hate to see something like that happen with Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood's a generational talent. And I'm not saying they have to go win a World Series with him, but my gosh, let's, let's at least be competitive. Yeah, so hopefully that uh, hopefully the Royals in the next few years under um, new leadership in that role can can get back to again at least the competitive level and be challenging for the playoffs and and, and we'll see who who fills that role and where the Royals can go again. They're getting ever closer to a hundred loss season this year, uh, so that's the gist of our regular topics, and we can move into uh, your final thoughts. Well, I had one of my students as a baseball player, uh, nice kid from Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, named Sam Ojeda. He came to Hutchinson Community College to play baseball. He's a pitcher studying journalism. And he kind of made a, a, a joke last week where he's, I think we're the worst team at the school, Brad. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, we like finished third in the conference last year and we did pretty well. But I don't know. I feel like that we're not by like everybody, everybody else's standards. We're not very good. And I, I kind of looked at him. I was like, I started thinking about it. I mean, we don't know what baseball's a long ways away, but the point he was making, let's look at some of the, the rankings that the Blue Dragon Athletics are having this fall. Golf is ranked number one, back-to-back national champions. Football is ranked number two. Women's cross country is ranked number two. Uh, volleyball just fell out of the rankings. that They're still receiving votes, but they just fell out of the rankings. Men's cross country, which hasn't had their full team yet due to injury, ranked 17. And women's soccer, I have to go back and look at this quick, like, but they're ranked as well, have just one loss on the season. And that one loss happened to be uh, against uh, last year's Jayhawk East champion, Cowley, where Coach Sammy Lane wasn't even there because he was tending to something else. Uh, and they're ranked, uh, let's see, 17 this week as well. So uh, great times uh, for Blue Dragon Athletics. I mean, and they've always had a pretty strong athletic department, uh, Scott. I mean, they've won a couple of national championships in golf. They had the football national championship two year, or two seasons ago. They won a basketball national championship uh, in 2017 after making it to the finals in 16. They made it to the national tournament in men's and women's basketball last year. Softball had one of their best seasons ever last year. Baseball is always a contender. But, you know, for this season, uh, at least uh, for fall sports right now, boy, it's – it's it's looking great. I mean, when you got three 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 teams in your fall sports uh, orga, uh, repertoire that are ranked in the top two, I mean, that, that that's just remarkable. Women's cross country football. I guess golf's actually a spring sport, but they also play year round. Uh, ranked number one right now. I mean, it's I tell you, it's it's a good time to be a Blue Dragon. It is a good time to be a Blue Dragon when your worst team is uh, finishing third. Uh, <laughs> In the Jayhawk Conference, and I, I had their a uh, couple of their games at the Region Six tournament this past spring. That they, they had a good team. They they didn't quite have enough pieces, you know, to to to, to topple Cowley and and uh, KCK, uh, the top top two teams overall last year. But yeah, that's uh, speaks well of where uh, Hutch Blue Dragon Athletics are at as a whole right now. To to think of that's your worst sport. Uh, I think everybody would like to be in that position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that there's uh, some real chances for national championships. I really think uh, this will be a tough game this weekend with Butler. But I think if the Blue Dragons can win that one, 
Uh, I think worst case scenario is that they go on the road for the playoffs, that they, that they'll still make the playoffs, uh, that they'll probably go that Iowa Western, Iowa Western season finale undefeated. And even if they lose that one, I think that they'll still make it. But if they win that one, then they're probably hosting the semifinal game. Uh, boy, uh, it, it's really an exciting time, you know, with cross country women and the men at 17, when they, they're not even close to full strength right now. Uh, soccer, I think is a little, ranked at 17 nine and one and again their one loss came to Cowley in a game where their coach wasn't even at so uh d- definitely uh looking good for blue dragon athletics well for my final thoughts brad i'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant here unfortunately uh i was sitting here sunday afternoon i had the uh the green bay tampa bay game on just uh it was the, the highlight game and it turned out to be a, a, a defensive struggle and then uh, it stayed 14-6, it seemed like, forever in the second half. The Green Bay defense just dominating the game. Their offense wasn't able to do anything, but you just felt like, you know, they're just they're in control of this game. And then it, they, they punt the ball down to the Tampa Bay 9. And here's where I'm going to lose my mind, Brad. I sat there and watched a Green Bay defense – that had been aggressive and pressuring Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, throughout his career, and the stats bear this out, this just isn't me hating on Tom Brady. When you put him under pressure, his completion percentage is below league average. And they've been doing that all day. So explain to me why all of a sudden Green Bay decide, oh, we're just going to rush three or four guys, and we're going to stay 10 yards off of every receiver. So what does Tampa Bay do? they go down and score a touchdown and have a chance to tie the game with a two-point conversion. They don't get it. Green Bay holds on for the 14-12 win. I'm losing my mind, Brad. Why does something you do for 58 minutes in a game that's working and is successful, why do you completely abandon it to try to not lose the game in the end instead of win the game? And it's not just Green Bay. Everybody does this. You watch your favorite team lead, dominate, and what do they do? They go conservative in the very end. Help me out here. Why is that? Everybody does it. And I don't – I lose my mind. I was about to lose my mind in the KU game when they ran it three times and punted it back to Duke when you got the best player on the field and you don't give him a chance to make a play. Why? Why does everybody do this? I, I need help here. Well, l- let's look at this logically for a minute. So Green Bay is up by eight. With h- How much time was left? Uh, it was outside of two minutes. Okay. So two or three minutes left. You're up by eight, and they have to march the length of the field. So worst case, let's talk absolute worst case scenario here is you continue to bring pressure, Brady makes a great throw. They take it to the house. Okay, so now it's a two-point game, right? So let's say that there's a minute. Let's let's just say it's under the two-minute warning. Let's say there's a minute and a half left, okay? minute and a half left still. Okay, they got to get the two-point conversion still, which league average, I believe, is somewhere, what, 33? 50%. It's what? I think it's about 50. Okay, so about 50-50. Okay, you like to and, – and, 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 and here's the funny thing, Scott – is if they go for two, I'm sure that they're going to bring pressure then, right? So, uh, but uh, okay, but anyway, let's just, yeah, yeah. So they go for two, um, 
worst case scenario, they, the Brady burns you. They scored a long touchdown. Okay, they have to go for two. Let's say and then let's say they make it. Minute and a half left still. Are you saying that you don't trust Aaron Rodgers to march you down into field goal range in a minute and a half? He hadn't done it all the second half. I guess. I guess. But it kind of goes back to what I was saying about, you know, Jalen Daniels earlier. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is obviously Green Bay's best player. Uh, Jalen Daniels is Kansas's best player. I mean, just kind of goes also back to uh, Russell Wilson and the Broncos. You've got to rely on your best players to make plays. Okay, and in that case, Green Bay's defense is playing out of their mind. They've allowed six points the entire game. Um, I'm going to make the old man beat me, you know, by bringing pressure. And, again, if, if, if we bring pressure and he steps up and hits a Tom Brady miraculous throw and they take it to the house, you tip your hat. Tom, you got us there. Now let's see if you can do it on the two-point conversion. He does it there. Okay, you know what? We still got a Hall of Fame quarterback in our back pocket. He's going to march us down to the forty to the 35-40 yard line. We're going to kick a long field goal, and we're going to win this game still. I, I yeah, The logic just doesn't make sense. It would be a great thing to talk to coaches about at some point, wouldn't it? Uh, I just, I just, uh, I think my wife was about to have to leave the room because I was going to have a mental breakdown watching this happen. It, it just seemed uh, that that's the my best explanation is is they go from trying to win the game to trying not to lose the game, and I and I hate that because what happens a good majority of the time they lose the game playing that way. Look at the Atlanta Falcons and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. That was not a Patriots win, Brad. That was a Falcons loss. Mm-hmm. The way that they just abandoned everything they did to get to a 28 to 3 lead in that. They should have just poured it on, kept blitzing, kept throwing the ball offensively. No, let's just run the ball three times and punt. Let's back all of our defenders off and let's lose. I mean, I just don't understand it. And it's universal. And it's both sides of the ball. As we mentioned in the KU game, they never gave Jalen Daniels a chance to make a play, to run the clock out, and Duke's offense never gets back on the field. Um, Unfortunately, it works out too often for these teams and just reinforces them doing it. But I've just I've seen it. Too many times. Ask Marty Schottenheimer uh, about the the Denver Broncos back-to-back years if he regrets (laughs) the way he played those last series of the game defensively against John Elway, rushing three guys, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, – what do they say about the prevent defense? Prevents you from winning. Prevents you from winning. I love it. Yeah, it's it's maddening, but um, it's – it, it, it hopefully it doesn't ever cost the Chiefs a Super Bowl or, or a big game or something like that, but we see it all the time, man. And anybody that knows me, you, you can you can send me a text, email, or whatever. If you can explain it to me, I'll listen because <laughs> it drives me nuts and I see it all the time. Well, again, that was our show for this week. We'll be back for next week's show with a new Ad Astra schedule, break down the Chiefs. The Jayhawks and the Warriors, as always. But for tonight's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great week.